0: I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1988. The album is the off-white album, the artist Dennis Miller, and my guest is J. Elvis Weinstein. Hi. Hi. Uh, So... Uh, I've so hurried and rushed sounding because I'm, I'm out of breath but <clears throat> why'd you pick this album let's start there
1: um I picked it uh, because I knew I owned it <laughs> and it hadn't been covered on your show before yeah, right um, and I had an interesting experience with it uh, because I didn't really think of it as particularly influential okay but after listening to it I realized it was hugely influential yeah. to me that Is- my it was like it was such the epitome of 80s stand-up comedy. It's true, yeah. And looking back, and I started doing stand-up in 87 when I was 15 years old. Jesus, and, man. And I could hear... I totally aped Dennis Miller in my <laughs> first hour of stuff. <laughs> like, I could hear the cadence. I could hear, you know... No, you I could hear first... the way he was organizing the material. Wow. I could, How old were you when you did your first hour? I probably had my first, you know... It wasn't a good hour. You're right, uh, right. But, uh... <laughs> I mean, the first time I headlined, I think I was 17. Damn, and that was you know that was more like 45 minutes. Wow, squeaking it out. Wow. Um, but all that material, I moved out here when I was 20, so mm-hmm. like that was that that's what I kind of consider my first hours, the stuff Jeez. I wrote between 15 and 20. That's insane. And I was on the road a lot as mm-hmm. a kid too.
0: So how could you? They let you in clubs? Did you they lie? did. I
1: didn't talk. Well, I know I only lied once. Oh, okay, when I was 16, uh-huh. I said I was someone else said I was 18, and I didn't correct them. Her? Um, but I didn't talk about it in my act at all, mm-hmm. and I didn't look like I was that—I was a big fat kid, you know. So <laughs> I didn't, you know, people thought I was twenty-two or twenty-three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would generally just not drink in the clubs I was working mm-hmm. at, so it was never really a big issue. But yeah, I don't know. I somehow slipped into this world and got treated like a peer and a professional, uh-huh. like very quickly. It was really. Sp- weird that's amazing and then I convinced my Jewish mother to let me play like one-nighters in North Dakota (laughs) during spring break (laughs) from high school god
0: wow do you so when you say you like you can hear it is it in delivery is it in content like
1: it's in all of the above I mean it's the epitome of an 80s stand-up act I would say just because it's like it's just it's jokes and an attitude Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. there's no there's no vulnerability sure there's no you don't know a thing about him by the end of the set right Um, uh, you just know his attitude mm-hmm. and a bunch of jokes and that's what most of people's club acts were like back then sure you know you built it joke by joke and you'd you know but you could even hear in dennis's thing how it's like the problem with having just you know 200 jokes in your act is mm-hmm. organizing them and remembering them yeah yeah you know so you have like these bullshit kind of uh, segues like. <laughs> You know, I do a lot of traveling, you know, and <laughs> right? Then, then, then right, then right. You do three different jokes about three different states, you know.
0: So sorry. I warned him that this would happen. Hello? T- and now no one's no, answering. Oh. Hello? Yes. Yes. Okay, I will come down and let them in. Thank you. We're saving a bird. That's right, folks. We're saving a bird, or at least. Helping
1: it to its final. Day. I'm going to sit here and just spew profanity <laughs> while he goes to <laughs> he take did, care of the bird. Right I'm going to do five minutes of Dennis Miller chan, chan, bark, bark. Hey, I got a life to lead.
2: Cha cha.
1: I really could do my own podcast now. He's gone. No one's listening. Hmm. Or I could just rifle through his office. I'll do neither. I didn't do it, though. You didn't do it? You I, didn't? No, know. Know. Oh, that's fine. It's, well. I just started down the road and then shut up.
0: <laughs> well, the bird may be okay. So that's a really? good Really? That's good. Yes. Well, th- this is the weirdest episode. I'm so sorry. Okay, now. Do you want to start good. over? Do you Phones want to go- No, I, you know what? I, I like the weird uh, atmosphere that I have created. Okay. Um. <laughs> um. Okay, so you're young Like, really young. Like, Eddie Murphy young. Like, he started when young. he was 15. Yeah. Like, okay, so you He was you're, more successful. <laughs> But, you know, but here's the thing, like, you're also born into an age of comedy where th- that's interesting, so is it like, Is it, it's not aping, though, it doesn't seem like it, if you kept doing comedy, you must not have just been aping and like...
1: Well, I wasn't even consciously aping, him, yeah, 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 you know, it was, but, you know, but I heard, you know, I could hear the cadence in my, in some of those old jokes. Yeah. Uh, I had a joke about, uh, about hitting a deer with my car, which had happened, and the, mm-hmm. and the state trooper coming up to me and asking me if I wanted to keep the carcass you know, said there's a lot of good meat there and my joke was you know of all the feelings i had during this experience hunger wasn't one of them i'll pass on the bumper buffet Wow. <laughs> ah, okay. i mean that's a fucking dennis that is miller 100%. joke you know? that's i didn't i i sort of sweetened it with a little extra <laughs> dennis miller there yeah, yeah, yeah. but i mean but yeah but it was the same thing which it's like here's a fact here's my attitude mm-hmm. bah, bah, bah
0: did that get you in That wasn't all my jokes, but sure.
1: but it was there and I could feel it listening to Dennis's act and remembering having to or like I was saying earlier organize your bits mm-hmm. through these very false prem you know very tenuous like i travel a lot and then because i have three separate bits about three states that's the i travel a lot bit yeah and you just write travel on your set list Mm. you know and then north to go to you know north carolina south carolina virginia and then you go oh i can fit my square dance bit in there you know (laughs) but the thing about doing those kind of bits is like if you don't say i travel a lot you don't go to, into that room of material, oh, right. and then you get to the end of your set, and you're like, "Which which bad segue did I not do to get to that five <laughs> minutes of material?" Oh you my know?
0: god, I can't imagine. That must be like the worst feeling. But
1: that's time. what it's like with that kind of. I mean, now yeah. it's like I I do stories, and it's a much more mm-hmm. personal thing. But then it was like you'd walk. It was like walking down a hall of doors yeah, and in each door was like a chunk of material. Mm-hmm. And if you forgot to open a door, that chunk of material, you never got to. You know? Yeah.
0: God, as a lover of standup, like, I mean, I like stand up, but I don't do stand up. but as a lover of up yourself and then somebody who ends up doing it, this, that does feel like an ideal era to like find yourself like in,
1: I think. Well, it was ideal in the sense that, you know, like I said, I found work at 16 yeah. on the road, you know, <laughs> so it was kind of like anybody who could middle, you know, do 30 minutes. Mm hmm could make a kind of a living you mm-hmm. know there was work there was lots of work to be had so right but it wasn't you know it was bars and it was one-nighters mm-hmm. and it was you know you'd play clubs but you'd string them together with weeks of one-nighters all the time you know and so it wasn't like quality stage time there sure, sure. Was a lot of it was just survival you know
0: was it that attitude and all the stuff that we're talking about of the era that attracted you to it or were you already interested in comedy before that thing kind of became obvious to you
1: it was a weird thing I'm I was like I always um, associated with it growing up, and Uh I always sort of like saw them on TV and saw my parents react to them, and like kind of went, "Oh, I'm one of them," kind of. But I never had a plan. I Mm -hmm. never was like the kid who wrote all these jokes for when the time came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, What happened was a friend of mine, one of my best friends, he he had he had discovered this open stage, and then like we were hanging out Saturday night, and it was a Sunday night open stage. He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go do this thing tomorrow." And I was like, "Yeah, I'll come with you. I'll do it too." You know, I just jumped right in with him. Um, and it was this club called the Ha Ha Club, uh-huh. which is also where I met Joel Hodgson. Um, and it didn't have a liquor license, so the, the, oh. my, my age wasn't an issue. And yeah. That was, so my first year, that was kind of my became my new home, and I was there all the time and doing all these sets. And it was a really good place to just learn how to do it. Wow. Um, but by the end of that first year, I was in all the clubs in Minneapolis, and mm-hmm. people just coming, kind of. Went, all right he's <laughs> got an act you know <laughs> and I, I wasn't acting like a kid and i wasn't you know and, yeah but uh, you know even then i was like really i'm, I'm a peer now all of a sudden yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah because it was just like because i wrote you know i wrote a lot of jokes and i you know mm-hmm. i always had new material and i I was clearly one of the guys who was working hard and yeah. knew what i you know was knew what had to be done to build an act how and, did you figure that out though at that young? just watching and okay and uh um and just figuring it out yeah mm-hmm. i grew up in a really funny family with a pretty high bar for okay for jokes you know like a good joke could change any bad mood in our house mm-hmm. and a bad joke could exasperate <laughs> you know? yeah but there wasn't there was no nothing was sacred you know if it was a good joke you could get away with it you
0: know? was there were there comedy albums in the house not really there okay. was
1: uh there was like three comedy albums there mm-hmm. was uh, two alan sherman albums sure and cosby's first album okay my parents somehow my parents who loved music just like stopped buying records when we were born apparently <laughs> by by their you know by evidence of the record collection yeah and so you just plow through what your parents have first sure, so sure. bill cosby is a very funny fellow right and okay yeah my son the folk singer my on the nut
0: yep it's so weird we have just those we just did alan sherman for the first time a few weeks ago
1: that alan sherman was like in my head he was way more formative than dennis miller was mm-hmm. because i learned like dennis like alan sherman i learned all about laughs from yeah you know like you could hear like where he was stopping the music to let the laugh for play sure yeah, extra yeah two beats or you know or you know and just being a kid in minnesota a jewish kid in minnesota knowing that jewish could play that well right right you know outside of you know, my house, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was an interesting thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. I forgot. I forgot you did pick Alan Sherman first and you and I was like, I'm so sorry. We just did it like, <laughs> in, like yeah. so, so recently. He was the one I thought a
1: about, but I'm actually really glad I did this Dennis Miller thing. Cause I just discovered, you know, what a plagiarist I am.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. When do
1: one was, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the thing is it like, you know, you know, Seinfeld was doing kind of the same thing, but yeah. with his attitude applied to it. And even Roseanne's housewife act, sure, was just a bunch of jokes bound with that attitude. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's what everyone was doing, with a few exceptions. I mean, even Emo Phillips was just joke to joke, and sure, Stephen sure. Wright. But you think of Stephen Wright as a one-liner guy, mm-hmm. but there's no more one-linery than Dennis Miller's right. act was. You
2: know? Went to my first square dance in West Virginia. There's an activity I don't get nearly enough of, huh? What is this, dancing for people without imaginations, or what? I go to dance, I go to express myself. These people are into being ordered around the floor by some neo-fascist Sam Drucker. Some sort of bizarre B.F. Skinner hoedown or something. It's worse than that is somebody who doesn't dance, rather they act out the lyrics to the song. Ever get stuck next to this asshole on a dance floor? (laughs) Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Hey, pal, ain't no fucking dance floor wide enough, all right? (laughs) What's with this kabuki shit, Twyla? Do you know when you first heard this album? I think when
1: it came out. Really? Yeah, I owned it on vinyl. Okay, okay. So do you
0: did you, had you seen him on SNL and picked him up? Yeah, no, picked it up I, already from there knew, and, I already was a fan when I bought it.
1: Yeah. And I thought it was a funny reference. That's also the year we started Mystery Science Theater. It was 88. Oh, right. Yeah, geez. Um, You know, and so I was also thinking about just how, you know, how reference-based, you know, the commonality is. You know, I don't, yeah. you know, we weren't doing Dennis Miller, but we had both, we all had come, you know, the Mystery Science Theater, those, those guys were all baby boomers and I was Gen X, but yeah. we all had collected from the same pop culture pool you know and right I was I was particularly interested in you know making sure that no one could see th- you know would come oh you're so young so I tried to know everything <laughs> anyway um but you know you can't do that anymore like the reference base is so diffused now it's true that you know but in 1988 you could do hey aunt B you know <laughs> right and yeah, everyone yeah. would know what it was mm-hmm. you know and but now it's like you could do a you know a character from Mr. Robot and no one's gonna you know right right you're right hit five percent of the audience it's so true you know and so references are like a whole different ball game now but back then it was like it's, you know he was using them the same way we were which mm-hmm. is like a punchline in and of itself
0: and I you know I'm not ashamed to admit how much of his shit has always gone above my head but continues to at 36 he's still going above my head well on, as on
2: Van Leeuwenhoek once postulated <laughs> cha <cha-cha>. cha. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, and, uh, that's so funny that you say that though, because like in rewatching, because my wife and I, who is on vacation right now, uh, started watching Mystery Science Theater from the beginning again. Oh, finally, yeah. you know, well as as much from the beginning as we possibly can. Right. And you have uh,
1: to s- choke through my episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're so good though, and like that's just it. It's those references that it's like, oh fuck, this wouldn't work for a young audience now, just no. because
1: they're they're like ev- well, and back in those days, I mean, and even throughout the show, I um. I mean there was jokes that were just for 17 people yeah, you know yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. literally if two people in the room got it you know it was like okay there's 600 jokes in the show we can fit it in you know mm-hmm. so i mean there are some jokes that literally no one you know, they think it's above their head, but it's just like no, there's no possible way you could you know because it right. it's about something someone said in a car. Mm-hmm. You know, in 1975 yeah. on the way to camp. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it became a reference <laughs> to someone. You know, one of the
0: great joys though is the obvious Minnesota references that I oh, know yeah. I won't get oh crazy they make oh, me yeah. so happy because oh. I'm like I know that's really funny to them oh
1: the Ludafisk <laughs> and the oh yeah so much of that. Oh, the crappies, we'll catch some crappies and we'll take them down to the fish fry. Oh, yeah.
0: There was one that I actually had to reverse engineer that was a Schlitz joke. It was <laughs> a joke, It w- but it was it was like a Bergman film sketch. I don't know what season it was in. Yeah, But yeah, but that's the thing about that show. And that's the magic about certain referential humor is like if you reverse engineer it, you can kind of figure out where it came from. Sometimes. Right. Sometimes.
1: Well, and that's why that show, I think people have such a personal relationship with that show, mm-hmm. too, is because, you know. Every one of those episodes you're gonna find that magic joke that you thought only had you had in your right, head right right right. and now your family Yeah,
0: you know, it's uh, you know so funny is like you're in the room and I just interviewed Harry Shearer a couple of weeks ago oh, yeah. By Skype and I got to tell him like you know you guys taught a whole generation of people to think they could improvise So just so you know you're responsible for that like <laughs> you're in the room I can at least say like you taught a generation of people now to think they can riff on anything including right. myself like sure. I'm pretty sure it's one of those things that got me into thinking I could do comedy because I'm like I I not I could do that but I that's really funny but then you start riffing well, but yourself. I do that
1: already you know yeah, yeah, that, yeah that was I think people's first response is hey I already do this yeah, right yeah so it's just fine tuning from here for sure know? yeah yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but doing it in a way that isn't obnoxious that's the reason MST3K works is because you're there for a reason it's not like well, some asshole next to you in the theater <laughs> I
1: mean what people don't know is that it was I mean, aside from the original KTMA shows which mm-hmm. were which were improv yeah. It was a highly written show. Yeah, I mean, Every joke was, you know, was welded into place. It wasn't just, you know, people improvising. How
0: know. difficult was it to... I know this is not an entirely MST3K episode, and I'm sorry, but how difficult was it to improvise?
1: You know, it wasn't difficult because there was no bar. You okay. know, each week we would set a new bar. You know, at first the show, the concept of the show wasn't even riffing, really. It was just, we're company for you while you watch okay. the movie. And yeah. then you start throwing in these riffs and then you start seeing more opportunities for these riffs and then you start going, well, now there's an absence of riffs and so Mm -hmm. you have to start filling that hole and it got up to like 600 jokes a show. That's crazy. But it started as just like occasional comments. Yeah. Then we started to try to impress each other and top each other, mm-hmm. and, you know, and really, like, see how mu- how many jokes we could fit in. And we didn't really believe it we could fit that many in. Right. You know?
0: I think if you watched those and, like, treated it as, like, an evolutionary study, you could be like, this is kind of what what people have gone through in terms of, like, evolving into needing comedy. Because you can just sit there all you want and just right. talk. But then eventually it becomes necessary to, like, you know, to... to to riff for lack of a better word like just you just have to be funny you have to entertain one another
1: yeah and you start feel you start feeling the holes yeah yeah yeah. so it 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 was uh i mean it really was an evolutionary process and because we had this no pressure situation to Mm -hmm. do it in um for no money you know it was it was you know we had 20 episodes before we ever tried to sell it to national tv yeah yeah yeah. what the hell it was so i'm trying to find a dennis miller
0: type segue uh (laughs) I don't have one. Let's go back to his album. Well, there's lots of times
1: we'd anyway. Mystery Science Theater where Mr. we would just do a Dennis Miller. You know? Yeah.
0: Hey, I got a life to lead. Chow, chow, come <laughs> on. Did you wear this album out, or was it something you've no, all No, it, it
1: was. It was just something I owned, and I think I, you know I don't mm-hmm. remember listening to it even very fervently. But I think there was also an HBO special. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so I probably saw that more than I actually listened to the album. Okay. But um, like I said, it was. It wasn't like it wasn't an important album to me until like yesterday that's so funny, that <laughs> when so I got funny. One, holy shit this was apparently <laughs> an important album to me
0: is there are there any bits on it that like stand out after re-listening to it or from before well re-listing? there's the ones
1: i the ones i remember that were part of his sort of tv set stuff you mm-hmm. know the uh the you know the, the train having the you know i don't i don't want to be on the train because you know i don't want to have a mode of transportation where the general public has access to the brakes yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> hate to think i spun off the tracks at 200 miles an hour because gus thought he saw a woodchuck
0: <laughs> which i think is a solid joke outside of the attitude too that's where the ones i think that made me laugh the most well, were the most ones...
1: of them are solid jokes. yeah there was one I actually here i actually wrote one yes. down which was the quintessential like i'm just throwing references in. i love it um oh it was he's talking about a guy dance you know sort of acting out the song uh-huh. on the dance floor and he just like it wasn't it was like alt punchlines he was like first it was like what's with this kabuki shit twyla so there's <laughs> yep. there's there's two references right there uh-huh. loosen up moment shunts get a limbo stick <laughs> so five references oh one joke, essentially <sighs> um and uh i mean but that was it i mean that was like it was just an, an additional punchline it wasn't even mm-hmm. really a tag it was like an alternate you know <laughs> <laughs> but you can hear you know you hear how he builds it it's like there's mm-hmm. the punchline Oh, I thought of a tag, and then you know, he, and then bits build out from that, and That's I remember crazy. that. I remember that very sensation of of organizing it that way. Right, you know
0: did it, did this album? Okay, so like you said, you just to realize its influence. What what other stuff? Like, what other were you mostly listening to and seeing? Local comics, or like, what was your exposure? at the time
1: um uh, my exposure i mean i guess it was mostly hbo stuff yeah there was this one hbo do you remember that there was uh hbo on location oh yeah yeah yeah. standing room only uh-huh that, like, com- was comedy things and there was like a best of standing room only special once which okay. had this insanely wide range of comics from like robert klein to red fox toady fields wow and, like Myron Cone and, you know, and David Brenner and, you know, it was like a best of special of all of their up specials. amazing. Okay. Um, but I had this real memory of like seeing that and watching it that whole month. It was on a lot. And just just like, that's when I kind of got, oh, there's a bajillion different ways to do this. You know? Yeah. This yeah. was, like, this was a probably 10 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, again, I wasn't like planning it, but I was like getting it, you know, mm-hmm. like I was a kid, like I would watch. Welcome back Cotter and like try to figure out the production, you know, it's That's like, awesome. well, where's the audience and where's <laughs> the, you know, um, I always like, I always, I was never able to suspend my disbelief really. I, <laughs> I was always more interested in what, how it was being made kind of.
0: I guess that explains though why you would be so fervent or like in writing, like you would just, you wouldn't stop. It sounds like, I mean, if you're that well, curious about what makes this shit work.
1: I was, but I'm, I'm also kind of lazy, I think, <laughs> you know, um, like I never, Like, all the things I ended up being, I never planned, Uh you know. Um, You know, uh, me becoming a TV writer was more of a result of not being that good of a stand-up performer (laughs) at age 20. (laughs) When I came to L.A., everyone was like, you're a really good writer, but no one was going, you're a great comic, you Mm -hmm. know. And so I got a writing job right away, and that was way more profitable and way easier than sure driving around the country. Did it? So did, did that come? As I didn't a get result? it right away, but I got I, I got some work right away, and then mm-hmm. I got I was I got I started, you know, being a guild network writer mm-hmm. at like twenty two. Is that
0: a result of people just? Uh, were you sending out packets, and that's where they get the material? Were they watching? you Like I like this, I just don't like how you're doing it. Like <laughs> it's a way it no, sounds. No, it was more. Okay. I mean,
1: no, it was more people. um You know, I was I came out to L.A. thinking I was going to be a TV writer, Uh but secretly think hoping I would somehow become a star. I think sure, sure. Um, And then I realized, you know, once I got to the L.A. clubs, I just I had this act that I had cobbled together, like we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And when you start taking that act apart and trying to build ten minute sets, it just falls apart. And there was like I just had nothing I could fucking stand behind. (laughs) Really, I really (laughs) felt that way. Um, so I knew I had to either like start over with stand up, um, and this was like '92, January of '92, when mm-hmm. like alternative comedy was just sort of starting, and you know, so it was either like really hardcore club guys or you know notebook shitting, you know, <laughs> sensitive people. <laughs> and at twenty, I like couldn't be either one of those really. Okay. You know, I didn't have the the sort of manness to. <laughs> be on stage and really be a powerful act. You know, I was always like, you know, I was always very conversational and, you know, I would kind of draw people in, but that takes more than 10 minutes, you know? For sure, yeah, Um, right. So I realized that, like, no, doing 10-minute sets in L.A. is like a whole different skill than Mm -hmm. being, you know, doing Sanford and Sons in Kansas City or Fire Bone somewhere, you know? (laughs) It's just a different gig, you know? And I started to realize that road comedy at that time and show business, like, had very little intersection even. You mm-hmm. know, it was like, you could be a road comic, and that'll be your life. Yeah, yeah. Or you can be in show business, but the two don't touch all that much.
2: Every time I go into the bathroom of a hotel, there are two switches on the wall. Never once in five years have I hit the light switch. I'm always sitting there in the dark with a nice breeze going from the exhaust fan. Why do they have the exhaust fan in the bathroom? Anybody having friends over for a sink kibachi or what? And if something comes out of you that's so bad That you need an exhaust fan. You're about to die within a week anyway, okay? And they're so paranoid about you falling in a shower. They have those industrial-grade sand strips on the bottom of the tub. Marriott is completely overboard. They have ski boots welded to the tub so you can, you know, lean back and get at that hard-to-rinse area down here where you usually have to bring the water in on the arm viaduct or else do the hydroelectric shuffle method or... Arch the back at just the right angle to get that Chattahoochee Canal effect down there. Rinse out the old DMZ, huh? We all think we have our own little secrets, don't we, huh? Well, when we're alone, we all do the same stupid shit. You ever get a hole in the end of your sock? You want to wear the sock anyway? So you put the sock on, take it, elongate it, bring it underneath, wedge it up into the toe groove, put it into the shoe, release, you got a whole new sock, huh? And I discovered that
0: through this podcast, too. It's like meeting other collectors. Like, I know one guy named Jeff Abraham, friend of the show, big time. Like, he's really helped us out. He has a collection of about 5,000 comedy albums. And a lot of them are those. The road comics or the, like... Local only comics, like right. the guys who are just, I'm here to sell my records. You just enjoy my shit. Here's my raunchy album with a shitty cover. Right, and it, you're right. Like I don't think about it that way, but you're right. It's not show business in the same way. It no, doesn't have the same reach or the same overlap, even. Right, and you're, it's a
1: living. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I and mean, you're entertaining people. It's. I'm not trying to belittle it. Sure. But, no. 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 Of course. But it is a separate track. Oh, that's so know? weird. I never thought of it that way. And I think even comics that we think of as good comics here in L. A. it's like they're out, they're doing a different act down the road. A lot right, time, right. 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 You know? Because people in L.A. don't really want to see your stand-up. Anymore. Right. They just want they want to see you and your and your attitude and your vulnerability, essentially. hmm And, you know, they want to hear, as Jackie Cason once said to me, they want to hear the story of the bit, not the bit. <laughs> you
2: know?
0: That's fucking perfect. Did you... Okay, so if you come out here and, and you sort of discover that stand-up's not the sta- same, stand-up's not the thing, so...
1: I think it was more I discovered I'm not the thing. You're not. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, That's I fine. always wanted That's to be a up And I still, I've directed two movies now and mm-hmm. I've done all this TV, but I still think of myself as a stand up doing all this shit. Does know? that it's change your how I self-identify?
0: Does you it know? change your mentality though when directing and, and, and writing and stuff?
1: Um, I think it's changed my mentality in terms of my uh, um, editing skill. You okay. Know, that I've, I'm a very less is more economical guy mm-hmm. when it comes to the stuff I write and the stuff I direct. Um, you know, I kind of know. I know what people. You know, I've had so much lab time figuring out what people get distracted by and what right. it, you know where they wander and where their attention goes. That I'm very, I'm kind of hypersensitive to it.
0: I, that does make perfect sense. If you, I mean, if you know how to read an audience out of enough experience, no matter what you're doing, I feel like having the time to pick and choose where your audience is going to pay attention et cetera, et cetera, might you you might be better aided by that kind of live performance. Right.
1: And the second movie I just did was about stand up so it was especially really? uh, especially uh, useful I think to have stand up timing for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when when you come out here and then you and then it's it becomes writing. It becomes so where do you start when you start writing out here?
1: Um I started the first I came out here and I had mystery science theater as a credit. Yeah. Um, I I think the first the first gig I had was writing for Louis Anderson, writing stand up for really. Him. Yeah. Um, for a while, you know, mm-hmm. um just like writing tonight show sets, and I did actually a Dennis Miller show set for him. That wow. He, that he actually bought a bit out of my act for like three grand, and then Shoot. went and did it on the Dennis Miller show and amazing go that well and he never did it again so uh but i bought all my furniture from ikea (laughs) with that joke with that bit with lots of callbacks oh my god um i wrote for roseanne uh you know like she had me do a vegas set for her Mm -hmm. using like stringing together her three different specials oh wow and that was kind of hard and uh Actually, did I sold the? Come to think of it, I sold the joke to Dennis Miller once for the Emmys. Really? Yes, he opened the Emmys with my joke. Holy shit! What year? Nineteen ninety one. Before right before I moved out here. That's crazy. Yeah. Holy shit. Fifty bucks, baby!
0: And <laughs> <laughs> It opened the fucking Emmys. That's right. That's amazing. Yeah, see.
1: Do so you? I th- yeah, and so I, you know, I wrote I wrote like an act for the guy who wrote who hosted Studs uh-huh. Mark DiCarlo. <laughs> <laughs> um, you when know. you say
0: write an act, like is it you're pulling together their existing material and then putting your own stuff? He had like, no material. Wow. I literally
1: sat with him for a month of days and just tried to pull information out of him. Holy and go, oh, That could be a bit, and then we wrote a joke. And wow, you know, I didn't write an hour, but we sure, wrote, sure, but we wrote him. I think 15 minutes, a good solid stuff.
0: God, that sounds impossible to me.
1: That sounds impossible. It's easy for me to write. I mean, now it's like I'm this. I'm. It's like 30 years next. You know, next year in January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's like. It's, you know, writing for other people is not that big a problem. Writing for myself, I still, you know, I still can't find what the hell I want to talk about <laughs> after all this time. But
0: Well, the, the, the stereotype is to talk about your voice or this or that. What is it that, do you know what it is? Or do you is it just like this ephemeral At this point,
1: thing? I mean, it's like, I think every comic, and I've talked to a lot of comics about this. I mean, all you're going, I mean, ultimately you evolve into yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's who you want to be on stage. Yeah, You know, is the closest version of yourself that is acceptable to <laughs> professional entertainment yeah. you know so and i think you know i'm kind of just you know I'm, I'm about there now you know i it's i talk about my life i i you know if i haven't done a stand-up set for a long time i'll tend to write a new 10 minutes instead of trying to remember the last 10 minutes wow. you know yeah but i mean that's that's the benefit of being not just a stand-up but like a long-time comedy writer right you now is that i can trust that I know a solid punchline, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I, you know, I can say it with confidence and not be out on a giant limb. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. The trick is to say it with confidence, you know.
0: Is it, is that refreshing because for you, because you're bored with it? Like the write a new 10 minutes or? Well, I
1: don't have any end game with standup anymore. Yeah. You know, sure. I, I, you know, like a, la- a couple of weeks ago I went down to San Diego and middled for my friend Tom Segura, mm-hmm. who's in my new movie. Yeah um just because i love middling (laughs) it's the easiest gig (laughs) i you know i'm not going to make a living at this anymore i know tom's going to have seven sold out shows in three days Uh so i can work on you know getting a new 15 minutes together with no stakes you know and i can throw tom a bunch of jokes for his act because i watched it seven times yeah yeah yeah. and i you know that was part of it as i wanted but those are my joyous days on the road was being the middle for good headliner uh-huh way more than when i was out headlining because then you just feel lonely but sure. you know but I you know but I a lot of headliners would would give me work as their middle cuz they'd leave their week with five new solid jokes or, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. or tags for nine things or you know because that's what, I was a geek you know I was a joke geek and mm. I still am and I still love you know the game I still love the little chess game of of tweaking with jokes and then but once i fixed the joke and made it work I don't need to do it for six years. Sure, you know? sure, like sure. No one's going to give me a special to, to you know, to clear off the decks. So, right. You know, so I just do good gigs now. I play Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. which is sort of my home club, and I do that once a year. That's awesome. And, you know, I do sets when my friends are doing shows. I did Andy Kindler show. He's one of my best buddies. And mm-hmm. You know, if people are doing shows and invite me, I'm there, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't, I don't pursue it like a real thing anymore. Sure, <laughs> I just pursue it because if I don't have an act, I hate myself.
0: <laughs> Where does that that necessity to pick shit apart, like and 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 put it back together the right
1: way, come from? I don't know. Um, you know, I th- I'd love to like offer some broken childhood <laughs> uh, analogy, but I didn't have that. Really. Mm-hmm. I had you know, I had this. I think it's just that my parents were like super observant people, and mm-hmm. they were always. And they were always doing postmortems of things. You know, Mm. they were always, you know, they were. My parents were both really funny with a big mean streak, Mm -hmm. but super nice people. You know, so they were never inappropriate. Okay. You know, but after an experience with some jackass, they would compare notes as to what they were thinking (laughs) at that time and trade jokes afterwards. Yeah. So they were never rude to this person. But there was this unspoken oh, dialogue great. going on in my family. So even after family gatherings, we'd do a half hour of, can you believe Aunt Marge said that shit? You know what I was going to say, man? <laughs> and just you know both both my wife, my brother and my fiance when they saw that they took, it took some real getting used to God, yeah. that's
0: perfect though <laughs> you, know. you grew up with with a family who gives you some, like strong text and strong subtext and then I guess you learn what to do with the math of that
1: absolutely god and, that's yeah, so great My parents were both sort of social geniuses mm-hmm uh, um, because a lot of people,
0: you're right. Like it does come from. I was socially awkward. I didn't know what to do with myself, so I listened to my friends on the records, which is basically my story, right? right. So then I pick, a, a, you know, I pick the part comedy, but I do like hearing that there's this opposing view. Well, and it was
1: approval in my house. I mean, that mm-hmm. was, I mean, my brother and I were both like smart, gifted children. and mm-hmm. We each skipped a grade in elementary school and. But it was like clear that like when my parents were bragging, ever would ever brag about us, it was because of something funny we said. It was <laughs> never like, oh, you got an A on this, right, right, scored, right. You know, it was like he said this funny thing. You that's know? fucking great. And so I, that that's the childhood line I can draw from, mm-hmm. you know, because laughter was approval. I mean, yeah. it was the highest form of approval, and it was their form of approval to the world too. And the yeah. joy that they got watching stand up on TV, or you know, or get you know, that you know. So I, I have no doubt that the psychological profile of why I'm a stand-up is that what this thing of of structuring I don't know where that came from but it's
0: fun though right like it's fun picking jokes
1: apart yeah it's fun because there's a there's an actual tangible payoff you know Mm -hmm. it's like if this works I get a big laugh do
0: you ever have the moment where you're like no that fucking should have worked you guys were wrong like in your head is that I'll say
1: it sometimes yeah yeah. (laughs) you know but but yeah sure of course that's part of the whole thing Mm -hmm. you know but do you? Will you go back and tweak it from there, or are you like, no, this is the joke? It depends how insistent I am. Okay. You know? There's sometimes where I'm not even gonna fix it. I'm gonna keep saying it, you know, and show the audience that I'm taking great pleasure in saying this, whether you like it or not. Uh-huh. And then sometimes, yeah, you tweak it, and sometimes you go, nope, that's never gonna work. <laughs> that is never gonna work. You only, you think it's funny.
2: I guess Reagan's hurting, huh? He had the rug pulled out from under. I'm sure he felt he'd carved out a niche for himself in history as a pretty good leader, but I guess in retrospect, the big winner in that last election might have turned out to be Walter Mondale. Although I'm sure it didn't appear that way at the time. If you think about it, he's got to spend the last three years in a relatively normal existence with his loved ones outside the scrutiny of the presidency. But it must have hurt that night. What an ass-kicking that was, huh? This guy made McGovern look like William the Conqueror. You know, I don't remember the final count, but I know when I went to bed, Reagan had 598 electoral votes. Mondale had three. <laughs> if you think about it, that's only three more than I had. I didn't even run. You know, I mean, this, this guy spent 40 million dollars, and I almost tied him. So, uh, you talk about not having a date for the prom, huh? Guess he'll be turning up in American Express card commercials. Hi, do you know me? A couple of years ago, I ran for president. I got stomped like a narc at a biker rally
0: after dennis miller uh, the accidental unaware influence like what other influences did you have that maybe i would know maybe i wouldn't are there other influences that maybe wouldn't occur to me
1: you know i don't you know it's i'm so i was so unaware of the dennis miller one Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah um you know you just it's all just at some point it's just like you watch good people and you soak up what's good about them and hope to spit out your own version of that yeah but it's uh Like I said, I think, you know, with most comics that I know, it's like the end game becomes being yourself. Yeah. And so whatever gives you the confidence, you know, to be to wear your own skin on stage. Yeah. And trust yourself that, you know, like at this point, that's the only thing between me and full commitment to everything is just my own governor. Sure. Sure. So I, you know, you have to sort of say to yourself, okay, no, I can trust. I'm 30 years in. I can I can trust myself to be funny now. Yeah. You know, I don't have to have every word written out and I don't have to have the exact phrasing because it's my whole thing that's now selling it. It's not just a very arch attitude. It's not... Right. You know, it's not the absolute specificity of the the wording of the joke, which mm-hmm. I believed it used to be. You know, right. And that's the Dennis Miller school. You yeah. Know, where it's a rhythm, where it's a, you know, a joke is a hard cement thing. You mm-hmm. know. And it's not that's not it anymore. In fact, you know, when I find myself getting too jokey about in a story I'm telling on stage, I'll sometimes just like start retelling the story as if wow. I'm just telling the story, because uh-huh. you sh- you can you can lock yourself out of what's of finding all the things that are funny about something. If, I see. You what you're know, saying. once you once you hit these joke points and you go, okay, if I go down this road, there's three great jokes. Mm-hmm that i know are going to work but i really actually set out to go down this other road yeah yeah you know? okay and so sometimes you can find a bit like existing in a way that you never intended it to and sometimes sometimes you know sometimes you go with the jokes that work sure sure but sometimes you go no i'm just going to start telling this as a story again and see if different beats emerge you know Hmm. do you think uh, that takes confidence that takes time to be right. able to trust yourself that you're going to have enough you know the other thing i've learned is is have some punch lines no matter what i'm Experimenting okay, yeah. with have some actual punchlines, and you can then meander down funny notion lane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but when you get to the corner, there better be a punchline, right? You know? Right. Do you think Dennis
0: Miller's discovered who he really is, or did he find just a real convenient character to play?
1: I don't know what happened to Dennis Miller. I mean, that's the thing that w- that sort of fascinated me about picking him because it was like at first I was thinking I kind of wanted to almost dabble in Cosby stuff. Yeah, but then it was just you know I feel too dirty. I you know. know. Yeah. Um, But Dennis Miller was sort of the light version of that, where he was someone who I had total respect for. And then he politically so went off my personal rails. Yeah. You know that his comedy stopped being funny to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Because the things he were asserting, he was asserting on stage. I didn't agree with, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, So it was interesting to me that, you know, I wanted to pick this moment where I really was a big fan. And where he was really at the top of his game, I think. Mm-hmm. You
0: know? I was trying, you know, it's. I wish I didn't have this, like, that. I had that perspective working against me listening to it, and I'm trying. I'm like, maybe he's secretly in there. Is but he like, was so you know liberal I mean? back then? I he was mean, very liberal. I mean, he's very arch. I mean,
1: now, I mean, if you look at him now, I mean, you would have gone, oh, no, that was pretty Islamophobic, or that was. Yeah, pretty, yeah, 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 but, yeah. But. But, you know, what he was doing on SNL was certainly lefty, and, Yeah. you know, and I think nine eleven is what made him, you know jump the track to the other side
0: yeah i mean he's pretty arch but i mean that's just his personality it's yeah. not his whatever it is and but, i know
1: his two brothers and they're pretty arch too i mean really they really have the same yeah when you talk to his brother rich it's like this <laughs> hey josh how you doing man you know? <laughs> and his brother jimmy miller is a huge manager that's and, crazy
0: yeah. i had no idea that there were other millers out yeah, there. yeah
1: jimmy miller is like was jim carrey's manager and wow. Avatar's manager and tim allen's for a while wow and, yeah, I have no Ms. idea. Messina Baker Miller was the big management firm. Wow! Shows so how little I know about Hollywood. I just yeah. Jimmy's man. a Jimmy's a very rich man. I bet richer than Dennis. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: man. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the weird thing is 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 when standups fight. But I, I don't even know. I don't even know if Dennis Miller would. Cons- I mean, does he do? Has he had a special lately? He's just a TV person. He
1: did a now. special a few years ago, and they didn't play it much on HBO because mm-hmm. it was very right wingy. Yeah, and um you know he did it at a podium and so it was extra <laughs> sort of extra <laughs> preachy
0: you know there's one but, way to evolve like do it how carlin did it like kind of gradual
1: yeah you know <laughs> but i it wasn't a gradual ev- ev- evolution no. for him i think he really had a i think he really had like a, a major transformation with 9-11 mm-hmm. and i know several people who did i mean yep. it really it really changed them yeah um but I saw him on a plane. I was sitting right behind him and uh on the way to a, he was on the way to a show at like the Minnesota State Fair or something. Uh-huh. With Dana Carvey <laughs> and I think maybe Neilan. <laughs> mhm. Um and I was off to do Acme, I think. So I talked with him on the plane and stuff. So he's still out there doing it. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know how much. I don't know. I don't I think he has a radio show still too. Oh, okay. Do you That's what he did for years.
0: It's so funny cuz the way we're talking about it again is like it's this accidental influence. So it sounds like you spoke to him but it's not you weren't starstruck.
1: No, and I I've met him over the years. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, yeah. In ten, ten, 10 year increments mm-hmm. I've met him, you know. Um so no, I mean no, I'm not I wasn't there's I don't think there's any comic I'm starstruck really? anymore at this point, yeah. Huh. That's interesting to me.
0: I it just, it just it, I mean, I guess if you've the worked last as comic much I worked with though.
1: Richard Pryor on a sitcom. Holy shit! I was shit. starstruck with Richard Pryor. I can imagine. And he was like in a mobility scooter. Yeah, yeah, at that yeah. Point. But still, um, but you know, I've been around. A, I mean, I fucking opened for Henny Youngman. Really? As a kid, that's fucking great. Bill Hicks was a buddy of mine for mm-hmm. a while before he died. And yeah, know, um, you know, so I've I've spanned a long time. Sure. Know, and then you work on. I worked on t- late night talk shows. My first, my first guild gig was the head was well first a staff writer, then head writer of Later with Greg Kinnear. Oh, really? On NBC, and uh, so I mean, when you do that job, it's like there's a celebrity a day because mm-hmm. it's a talk show, and so you get very. I don't want you know. I don't know if it's jaded. It's cause, not jaded because uh, I, I don't. I don't think that. You it's know, okay. Famous people to are to better it. people. Right. Know? Right. Exactly. But there's some people who absolutely I have reverence for. Sure, sure. 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 But I don't get, but I'm not afraid to talk to them.
0: No, exactly right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I didn't used to have that, but having the podcast has made it a necessity. I couldn't right. come on here and babble like a dumb fuck. Yeah. Unless Weird Al comes on. I, I think it's established.
1: He's super nice. If though. he comes, he's I know. Like, he will put you so at ease. I know, and, and
0: I've met him a couple times. I was still a little like the butterflies, but if he did my show, although maybe maybe all of a sudden I'd be like, well, he's doing my show, so now I've earned it, right? No, probably not. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'd probably
1: wet myself still. No, I bet anyway. <laughs> Do you, okay. The thing, the thing that I assure, you, I assure you that you've realized is that comics have no problem talking about themselves. Oh yeah, no, and it's great. <laughs> I mean, well, as I've proven,
0: but it's but that's that's. I mean, if you can again, then obviously, like you said, you're closer to that goal all the time. The more you talk about yourself, maybe the more, maybe the more you understand. It. I don't know if that's true. I don't though. know, if that's, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. Look, that look that at I, Donald I, Trump. Yeah, oh, God. oh yeah.
1: Good call. <laughs> I'm not sure that a bunch of self awareness has bubbled to the surface. Right.
0: God, wouldn't it be so much better if that guy just evolved into like a Larry the Cable Guy style comic and that's all we had to put up with?
1: I think that that would have totally fulfilled it. Right. Too, right. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> you see him so pained when he's on prompter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, okay. So this here's this, I think, I think we're going to have uh, a rare occurrence in this when I, w- when I ask you the question, uh, if you're to recommend this album to anybody, Why listen to this album? Do you have a good argument as to I think
1: if you want to, if you need a a tutorial on what 1980s club comedy, you know, this was obviously in a theater, but Mm -hmm. 1980s stand up, this is it. I mean, there's no better example of what, you know, of what that was. You know, this was really, it was a tight set with a great crowd and, you know, and, you know, it was, you know, I think, you could listen to any of the names you recognize from 1988 and you would see a commonality. Yeah. you know Between their acts.
0: It's so crazy because you say great crowd and I was like, I, there are a couple times when I swear to God they laughed way before the punchline because they're so on board with this guy.
1: Well, but there was also times where they like totally waited for the punchline. Yeah, line, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Like really? <laughs> and even like, he was like stopped because he thought the laugh would come at the at the ellipses. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. instead of when, w- having to deliver the actual thing, but they waited for yeah. the actual punchline. Yeah,
3: because
0: he is undeniably like a very smart dude and a very smart comic. Like, right. and and so, <laughs> yeah. That's the one part that's like, oh, oh shit. Okay, clearly he's not getting what he wants <laughs> at this point. But
1: right.
0: it's. I mean but it's not the I guess all comics get that I
1: suppose well and even that I don't think it wasn't what he wants I think Mm -hmm. you know you want moments when you're on stage right you want you know you want dynamics of moments you Mm -hmm. don't want the same laugh 50 times in a row you want you know you want sort of a journey so I, I always think of it very much as a conversation you know and and you know it was just their part of the conversation was like Different at that moment, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And I think it's because they're, you know, they're so tuned in and they're waiting for the language to tell them. It's true. You know, it's true. Instead of the rhythm.
0: Do you? Okay, so as we near the end here, do you have? I don't know when this is going to come out, so I apologize for that. That's all right. Unless you have something urgent, in which case I can put it out sooner. I have nothing urgent. Nothing urgent. That. But where can people find you? Is there anything coming up? Let's say within the next several months.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, people can the. The best way to find me is at J. Elvis Weinstein at Twitter. Um, and I have a new documentary called I Need You to Kill mm-hmm. uh, about stand up comedy in Asia. That's awesome. Um, starring Tom Segura, Pete Lee, and Chad Daniels, um, and many of the young comics of Asia. Uh huh. Um, and that, I just mixed it yesterday and uh having a screening on the 22nd of this month mm-hmm. a private screening and then it'll hopefully get out into the world by the end of the year that's awesome
0: well if this if it when it does like let's say something like again if something becomes more urgent about it let me know and i'll release this sooner than thank that, you uh because that would be important uh well that sounds amazing um is it like a is it a tour documentary or is it something different like it i'm curious it's a tour
1: document it's a follow doc on this tour but it's also exploring um these scenes that are popping up around Asia. Oh, cool! Okay. And uh, the the story of a guy named Lewis Lee, who owns Acme Comedy Club Company in Minneapolis, uh-huh. who's a Hong Kong native, um, who brought these guys on this tour. Oh, okay. Um, and who runs one of the best clubs in America. That sounds great. So. That sounds like a lot of fun.
0: Um, Well, thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, You can go to... They're not listening at this point. They're not listening. Go to StolenDress.com. That's where all of our other crap is. Go to LookingForwardMovie.com. That's my movie that's coming out one blog at a time through November through the election um and uh that's it really thank you so much for being here my pleasure um thanks for putting up with me going saving a
1: bird's life you saved a bird for god's i sense.
0: really did it was mouth to mouth and everything mouth it to was, beak it was, um it was see i worked my my own joke out it wasn't <laughs> a joke barely a joke uh thank you guys for listening and as always have a good thing A major portion of comedy on vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Hey everybody, it's Jason, uh, doing a little uh, extra bonus piece of this episode this week. Uh, with me, I have a, a friend and a person who, with whom I have worked. Uh, if you guys ever listened to Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour, my other podcast, uh, we did a pilot years ago. Janet was part of that. Her name is Janet Wood. She's the founder and executive director of Guided Good, which is a nonprofit which works to empower aged-out foster youth to serve an international community in need. Now, I gave them some words. Why don't you explain a little bit more about it?
3: Yeah, sure. So, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. And, um, yeah, we are based out of LA and we're brand spanking new. So we're a very, uh, brand new nonprofit and we're actually raising money right now to take our first trip in May to take six aged out foster youth in Los Angeles on an excursion, a cultural immersion trip to Nicaragua, um, for one week so just kind of inspired by my own personal experience i spent three months in nicaragua changed my life uh you know and i think a lot of us have gone on powerful volunteer trips that have changed our life and so basically wanted to be able to provide this kind of an opportunity to people who maybe couldn't afford it or don't have these types of opportunities and in la aged out foster youth are kind of a demographic that's forgotten Mm -hmm. very often um, so yeah, pretty much, uh, you know, within 18 months of aging out, which means they turn 18, they're out of the system and then they're just kind of thrown into the world. Okay. Like you're an adult now. Um, and within 18 months, 40 to 50% are homeless or unemployed. So they're wow. just kind of like a lack of, there's really a lack of like inspiration and, resource and just kind of anything really they're just kind of surviving right so mm-hmm. you know we're, we're so used to okay once you once you get like all the essential needs you know then then we start to think of like things that inspire us right so i'm working very closely with a lot of incredible organizations within the los angeles area who actually work on a day-to-day basis on providing resources to aged out foster youth to help them transition into adulthood more smoothly so my goal is through Guided Good is to kind of help take you know some of those youth who are incredible, incredible, and powerful and inspiring human beings, and take them on a trip that will hopefully, hopefully expand their worldview, um, uh, help shift their perspective. I'm just like a real huge believer in the power of using culture shock to, to take us to to new heights. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so that's kind of my hope.
0: That's awesome. So how you say it's pretty new. How how long is have you has a uh, has has it been exists in in existence? Yeah.
3: yeah. so only about a year. Okay. So Okay. Yeah, we officially, I believe, like, literally, I filed the 501c3, like, paperwork and all that good stuff last September. But we really didn't set our mission statement until this last January when where we decided, okay, this is exactly what we want to do. Mm-hmm. So we basically spent this whole year just kind of figuring out, okay, when are we going to go? Who are we going to take? Who are we going to partner with? Uh-huh. Raising money. So we're super excited because the trip, our very, very first trip, we're calling it our pilot trip, is happening in May um and we've, you know, chosen most of the candidates already. got uh-huh. um, uh, a few of the mentors. Um and yeah, so we're really just kind of looking for people to partner with us, whether it's um through resources or finances. Um, or you know, we're also currently working on a, a format of buy a trip, give a trip. So basically, um with only I believe we, we settled on it depends on where we're going. Um but, for example, in May, we're going to Nicaragua. We're going to this small kind of fishing village right on the coast. It's beautiful. It's like beaches. It's just pristine. But it's a very, very small, you know, it's still third world country. Um, and we're going to be working with the local community there in um, in a place called Mag Rock. And we're going to work with the community and support them in any way we can. So we're using kind of volunteer travel as a way to both give back to the places we travel to but also to to help, you know, I'm a big believer that when you serve others, you actually heal yourself. Mm. So that's kind of that's kind of the idea. But we're also building for those anyone who's interested in actually going on a trip. We're building right now um, a program where you can uh, raise money for your own trip, and in the process, you're also paying for one other aged out foster youth to experience the same thing. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. So if anyone's interested, you know, they can go to guidedgood.org. That's our website. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just I just really believe in the power of culture shock and travel. so
0: now, when they get there, I mean, do you have a specific agenda for them or is it I'm just curious how this is going to go? This is pretty fascinating.
3: Yeah, yeah. So we're working with a nonprofit down there. Um, who works consistently with the local community there in Magroc, Nicaragua. So they have a lot of kind of needs as well, you know, because it's um, a third world country and um, there's just a lack of resources specifically because there's now all this surf tourism that happens to be pouring in. A lot of times what happens is the actual local community kind of gets displaced, mistreated. You know, there's not enough resources to recycle you know, all the amounts of plastic that's coming in in order to please new tourism uh-huh. um, and whatnot. So uh, they kind of just get left behind. So part of that is we're going to be working with whatever the local community needs. So we're never going to go in there and be like, oh, this is what we think you need. Um, like a lot of kind of um, west Western culture tends to be sure. when they go and serve others. So it's like, hey, you guys tell us, and that's the power of, who we're working with because they see them, you know, 365 days a year. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll be asking them, Hey, what are your current needs? So right now we're working to solidify the project. It will most likely be educational related or um, occasionally we might do trips that are related to health initiatives as well. There's also kind of a lack of awareness of, um, of, of, just kind of balanced eating, so there's a high rate of diabetes mm-hmm. in those towns, uh, you know, because because it's just kind of a poor, a poor country. Um, so we'll be going there. It'll be either health or educational related. So those will be most of the service projects that we'll be doing when we go down there. And since we're brand new, I mean, we're starting in Nicaragua. We'll probably go to Central America often because those happen to be the connections we have and. To me, they're great locations that provide both, you get to experience another culture, but um, it's also someone who is in need. So maybe long term down the road for us, we might see you know, um, other parts of the world. That's my hope, that's my prayer. Uh, sure, sure. But for now, um, I just happen to have a lot of connections and contacts down there in Nicaragua since I spent so much time there. So we're gonna be starting with uh, with Central America.
0: Well, that's really cool. I, I like the idea that you're finding a way to give these uh, f- former foster kids a new family. Uh, so that's, mm-hmm. you know, a, you know a, a sense of permanence will definitely help and a sense of purpose at the same time is pretty great. Absolutely. Um, so I'm assuming everybody can get their information at guidedgood.org.
3: Yes, guidedgood.org. I would recommend uh, subscribing to our mailing list to keep, to keep updated, especially as we're kind of on un- Unfolding this new kind of program of buy a trip, give a trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and follow us on Instagram. That's probably Instagram and Facebook is where we keep the most updated. So um, yeah, check us out.
0: That's awesome. Well, Janet, thank you so much for doing this.
3: Of course. Thank you.
0: And uh, everybody, please go to guidedgood.org. And as she said, follow them. And uh, well, I, I'm excited. We, we should check in in a year and see how everything is. I'm, I'm excited to talk more about it. I would love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much.
3: You're welcome.